Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, September 6th, 2021. Happy Labor Day to everyone in the U.S., and happy Labour Day to our friends in Canada. On the show today, I ride Remy's Ratatouille Adventure and eat some crepes. Then special guest Christina Harrison is back with reviews of Epcot's new food offerings. And in our main segment, Jim explains why the first version of Disney's Haunted Mansion was going to be set in St. Louis, Missouri. Let's get started by bringing in the man who's not safe for work only fans account is just him committing OSHA violations. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Given the way a lot of people make their living on OnlyFans, are you familiar with that there's a great Jerry Herman comic song about an old stripper? <laughs> Your musical taste, Jim, or eclectic? Go ahead. <laughs> Jerry Herman, the guy who wrote Hello, Dolly. You know, you can't go wrong with this guy. But set for the song is an, an old out-of-shape stripper steps out into the spotlight, and she tells the audience how whenever she comes on stage, the guys in the balcony start to yell, Hey, lady, put it back on, put it back on. Jeez, lady, please, lady, put it back on. They holler, hey, with a fervor that's growing, please drape a flag over whatever is showing. So I figure if I had an OnlyFans account, that would be it. They, people would be paying me to- How much not you know, to do this, sir? <laughs> sir. You could just put a jacket on and, and maybe a drape. So. Have you considered curtains, like in front of the camera? All right. There you go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Juliana Hart, Donna Seagrave, and Jamie T. Butkus. And longtime subscribers, Mary Beth Shapley, Chuck CJS Parkster, and Rick Wright. Jim, for reasons that theme park historians will research for years to come, each of these people is represented as one of the 50 golden statues in Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary celebration. True story. I gotta see this focus group. <laughs> and let's welcome in our special guest for today. It's Christina Harrison from TouringPlans.com. Christy, how's it going? Hello. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being on. All right. And we're going to jump right into the news, which is sponsored by Storybook Destinations, the trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, Jim, the big news, literally within the last couple of hours, Christina and I have been on Remy's Ratatouille Adventure in Epcot. So, Chrissy, what uh, what is your opinion of the ride? I loved the ride. The crepes were more important to me. But the ride was <laughs> we're going to talk about the creperie, the restaurant afterwards, but let's let's talk about the ride. So, the, the um, we our appointment was for one o'clock. We yeah. got right in at, at one o'clock, right exactly at the stroke of one o three. We were we were let in. My first impression of the exterior backside of the France Pavilion is how much detail they put into the architecture there. I was half expecting to see windows that were constructed entirely of paint or shutters that were painted on the building. There's none of that here. The windows look like windows. The shutters look like they actually would work in France. And there's plenty of detail both on the street level and then in the upper levels. In fact, there's this little great section of the queue which if you're, uh, when you go straight back, Remy's is to the left. If you're facing Lemmy's, uh, Lemmy's, like from, it's, it's a motorhead ride. If you're facing, if you're facing Remy's on the left-hand side, there's actually this little uh, area where two parts of the ride building don't meet and you can see through and Disney's cleverly put another facade behind it to add the illusion of depth. There And I really liked it. So I thought it was, I thought the outside was really, really detailed. 
And then you step inside the ride and there's a, there's a fairly substantial outdoor queue, which has fans, which is good. And it's covered mostly. That's also good. Um, we get inside. And the first thing you see on the walls is a dark red uh, empire style wallpaper. And if you look closely in the design, which I guess would uh, in the empire style would typically be sort of Rococo French or Greek figures. Uh, it has uh, rats and cheese, which is kind of great, but it's so subtle. You will miss it unless you're specifically looking for it. But I, uh, I really thought the queue was great. You, uh, it goes through the, the setup of the first part of the ride, like, or sorry, first part of the movie where Remy is dreaming about cooking in France. So, you know, like in one of the scenes in Ratatouille where Remy is looking out over the, um, the top of the city of Paris and then Gusteau talks to him in like a fever dream. That's part of the queue. Um, and I thought the queue was amazingly detailed. Chrissy? That, that's the best part of the ride in the queue other than being in the refrigerator with the giant fish. Um, <laughs> is where Gusteau, I recorded it both in French and in English. And he, you know how in the story, he loses a star as is tradition when the chef passes away. Right. It's cutest thing because he bangs on that not i mean spoiler alert but he bangs on the star with his frying pan and it lights it back up like oh i didn't you know. see that that actually that is an effect yeah it's adorable i recorded it in french and in english we've got that on our instagram but to me that and then the refrigerator scene are the all right we'll get we'll, we'll get to the refrigerator scene in a second so we we um we go through the wallpaper we go through the the uh, outside of the city we go through a couple of more twists and turns. By the way, the air conditioning I thought was fabulous in the ride. Well, it's new. It's new, yeah. Um, dark, very dark, but also well, it's not. It's not as good as America. Jim, mm. when was America's air conditioning put in? Eighty uh, two. Yeah, but, but again, I, I think the last time we had the, on the show talking about the offerings at food and wine, it, it sounds like they turned the dial to stun. And that's my setting. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Look, if, it, if there's not frost on the windows, it's, it's not cool That's enough. It. Right, could we could okay. we store beef in here? Yes. Yes. Um, we go through a couple of other um, uh, scenes from the beginning beginning part of the movie to set it up. So chronologically, I think the line, the queue itself, serves to as a setup for the ride. In the in, in the ride, Remy is has already figured out how to cook, right? Oh, sorry. Let me, let me back up. Um, so, so uh, we you, you you board the ride. These are trackless ride vehicles. It's a three D ride. You pick up glasses. Each ride vehicle, which looks like a, a rat, has uh, three rows, and they're bucket seats, not bench seats. I thought that was an unusual design choice. Didn't you, Chrissy? Yeah, I liked it. It's cozy. It was. It was cozy, and it prevents the sliding around because uh, there's a couple of instances where you're you're spinning in the uh, ride. You, you hop on the ride vehicle, and the first time you realize it's a trackless ride jim is when you expect to move forward but instead you spin around and move back into the left which was which was pretty interesting back into the left like in the kevin costner jfk movie (laughs) you spin around and then the, the ride the ride does not begin in front of you when you board you actually go out some other place and that's when you first notice that other ride vehicles might be moving in front of you or you might be moving behind other ride vehicles, and it's apparent then that you're on a trackless ride system. And then, Christine, you, uh, what was the first scene? Is the the first scene where Remy is on the rooftop thinking about what to cook for Ego? 
Yes. Well, first you see the Paris skyline. Oh, right. And the skyline is beautiful, incredibly detailed, right? It is. And just like the outside, the depth, the layering of different levels of set pieces make it look like Paris goes on for miles inside this building. I really, really enjoyed that first part. There's a, definitely a wow factor there. Also, we were um, we were given the hint to look for things moving in the windows, and I won't um, I won't do any spoiler spoiler alerts there. But um, things move in the windows in the set pieces. So, Chris, a good point. And then, okay, so then right after that, we come to a into a room with a gigantic screen, like it encompasses your entire field of vision, and you're on top of an apartment in Paris. Remember when, uh, when Remy was hallucinating about Gusteau, he, uh, he's here in the same sort of setting, but he's thinking with Gusteau about what to make for Ego, the food critic, right? Yeah, he's actually on the roof of the restaurant, like on the glass. Oh, right. Okay, good point. Yeah, yeah. good point. And then he falls down. Right, okay. And so he, he goes through a couple of options on what he's going to cook. So he thinks an omelet is too simple, right? Mm-hmm. And then he settles on ratatouille. And at that moment, the scene looks like you're tipped through the window and you slide into the restaurant. And Chrissy, what happens then? So you fall down into the restaurant and then there's all of the chaos of the restaurant. Right. And you you run under – and there are 3D glasses. That should probably be said because it makes some people sick. Right. You still – I did it twice with the glasses and twice without. And you still – I mean, you still get it. It's right. just, you know. Um, and, some and, and, and at the beginning of the movie, Linguini knows about Remy, but nobody else does. So he's, Linguini's right. trying to hide Remy from everyone. So we're, the, the ride does not take place after the movie. It's contemporary. Right. It's the, basically the plot so of the movie. You're, you're underneath the tables and the carts, and that's yeah. your point of view yeah. from the floor. Your point of view is obviously Remy's point of view. So we get to we get chased through the kitchen. There's a scene where we at one point are directly under the gas oven, and the oh, gas gas gets yeah. Oh, so what's 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 the next scene after then the um? So then you're in the refrigerator. The refrigerator. That's that's great. So many health code violations. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think I count thirty major violations. Absolutely, would be out of business. Um, that's right. the, and, and there's and there's and there's. Right. And there's, there's, so there's tons of food. It's stacked up on shelves. Oh, I saw olives. It was fun to sort of translate what there's everything cheese, was. Did you see the, uh, the mustard grains? Yes. Yeah. But it's beautiful. And then there is like a, there's a small screen that's the pastry refrigerator. But the rest of it is just these enormous props that yeah. were reminiscent of like. Living with the land. Yeah, back left to living with the land. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. Well, yeah. I I remember talking with Joe Lynn Cicero when they were originally doing the version that opened uh, at Walt Disney Studios in Paris. And he was talking about how you wind up hiding under a giant ham that's hanging in the refrigerator. And the ham is so big that according to the French fire codes, it had to have its own sprinkler for the the, uh, fire suppression system. (laughs) That's how big big the things are in there. Yeah. So. The fish definitely does, Jim. It, it, I would imagine. I mean, it's giant. So we we go through the um, the pantry scene, the refrigerator scene. We get chased around the kitchen a little bit more. We go under the broiler, and we actually feel some heat there. Mm-hmm. And then we, Chrissy, does the the chase through the dining room scene, where um, 
that's after that's the, after that we're on the cart yeah yeah because um ego is in the dining room dining room that's right and he's drinking wine right. yeah the broiler so we go through we go through that at some point it comes out that remy is the chef um we end up in a scene where uh remy is cooking linguini is there to help colette is also cooking and all of the rats are carrying food around to help get cooked and then finally, there's one big scene where it's all the uh, rats in Remy's family who are eating outside. His brother's there, of course. His parents are there as well. And that's the the finale of the ride. That's a beautiful scene, too. It is. It's really funny because of all the stuff happening in the background. Yes. On it. It's beautiful. And then you get out. And as you get out, there's a couple of photo opportunities there where with um, Vespas and scooters. Chrissy, we, we did not exit through a gift shop, though, did we? No, unfortunately. We did not. Jim, is there is there supposed to be a gift shop there? Well, there's a fairly large merch program, but given what they had to do to sort of shoehorn this attraction into the Paris Pavilion at World Showcase, mm-hmm. it was it was challenging. But trust me, once this is actually open, there will be carts, there will be signs, they'll get you there, you know, and you and you can buy. In fact, somebody was just showing off what is the chef house called? The toque? Toque, yeah. Yeah, they actually sell a toque that has a light fixture that shows you Remy inside of the toque. I've seen, yeah, the merch looks, uh, yeah. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Fantastic. And so that we did that, we wrote a few times, and then Chrissy and I decided to try the new crepes place, La Creperie de Paris. Correct. And so we were the second group seated. And the interesting thing about this gym was at 2 p.m., we learned that the decision to open the restaurant for the day was made 10 minutes earlier. So we... we Definitively. They were planning on it, but it was mm-hmm. a surprise and delight. So it was not guaranteed. And we and, and we knew that, that it wasn't planned in advance because at one point we saw the chefs carrying over from outside of the building ingredients like cheese and white uniforms, white white aprons uh, into the kitchen, thinking like, oh, yeah, we're, we're actually doing this today. today's the day we're doing. And I know it's a, it's a theme on this show, but I always love it when Disney surprises Disney with the opening of something. It, to me, is the is the most fun. But we uh, we got inside. Um, Christian, do you want to go over the menu real quick? Do you have a copy of the menu? Of course, yes. But um, if we can, there's one section of the restaurant. When you walk in, I think you said it looks like Roaring Forks, or Laurel said that. I think I- I felt like you you could plop it down um, pretty easily at Wilderness Lodge and it would feel on theme. There is one section with tin tiles on the ceiling right. that had they done that everywhere, it would have felt, I mean, maybe we were off budget or something. I'm not sure. I wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure what theming they were going for inside there. There's a, um, there's a simulated, simulated like stone floor with large timber roofed supports. I wasn't convinced I was in Paris with that particular setting. Well, we said if I had played like Marie Chevalier or something, we would right. have felt a little more. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, there was no background music at that. But again, we were, we're a month from opening. It's, it's yeah. and, and we weren't even sure that the restaurant was supposed to be opening. So right. things, some things could be sure. excused. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Okay, so we, we get the menu. The menu fits on one single sheet of paper. It's basically your placemat. And the menu is divided, I would say, into four sections. Yes. Entrees and uh, kids' menus, galettes, uh, and then crepes. So the galettes, of course, are savory crepes. Crepes are sweet crepes. And then there's a bottom section of drinks. A couple of things jumped out here. Uh, The main one, and I think the one 
Chrissy, that we'll probably recommend to everyone is the uh, fixed price menu for $33. Um, you may recommend that. You don't, you don't think you would. Thir- uh, so Jim, $33, you get a choice of soup of the day or salad, your choice of one galette with a glass of hard cider soda or juice, and then one dessert crepe. And let me say, these crepes are huge. And this, enormous, but, and the salad know. was huge and the soup was hearty. Thirty-three dollars. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm putting down a marker right now. It is what September third when we're recording this. Thirty-three dollars does not last through the end of the month. It doesn't even make it to official opening day. The price goes up. Guarantee it. Why am I going to a crepe place and I'm getting salad? I'm getting two. It's very French crepes. Okay. I am not French. I'm Sicilian and Polish. I'm getting two. Uh, if I recall crepes. correctly, both of your parents are from Ohio. <laughs> exactly. We are a hearty people. And and both and all four of their parents are from Ohio or Pennsylvania. Okay, look now. I'm <laughs> two dessert crepes. Well, let's 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 go back. So so uh, the appetizers in French are of course properly called entrees. So we have a soup du jour which today was potato leek and then the house salad. Uh, the house salad was with the fancy lettuces. It had a uh, Laurel ordered the, the the salad had a uh, a very light vinaigrette on it and with came with huge uh, looked like house made croutons and looked fabulous. I had the potato leek soup. Can you edit my story? <laughs> I had the potato leek soup. I thought it was delicious. It was a tad cooler than I thought, but uh, the flavor was all there in a generous portion, properly prepared, creamy. I thought it was very good. Um, what did you get, Chrissy? You did not get an entree. You did not order the fixed price menu. Because why am I getting a soup or a salad at a great place? Because it's France. After well, all, after all, this is France. I would go, you go next door and you get your baguette with your 12 butters. And there's your savory. <laughs> your, tw- your 12 butters and your, and, your, and your statin? Is that what you're getting? My, you're friend, getting my friend is very generous. She's very generous. No, the apple caramel crepe. And then the one with, you don't even get to speak on this, the one with Nutella. And then you can't you get order dessert side. and dessert. You have to order, you have to order a savory. I don't even understand the words that are coming out of your <laughs> okay. mouth right now. All right. Let's, I don't. Hypothetically, right? If you order the fixed price menu, you get a choice of six savory galettes. Uh, there's a classic one which is uh, ham with what kind of cheese, Chrissy? Egg and Swiss. Ham, egg and Swiss. You get There's mm-hmm. a chicken uh, galette with chicken. Chris, what kind of cheese is that? Uh, bechamel. bechamel. It was a bechamel sauce. A lot heavy, heavy, heavy garlic on the bechamel. I did not think so. Um, and oh. mu- it came with mushrooms. Then there's the chev, which is goat cheese, oh, spinach, okay. and walnuts. There's a salmon crazy. with creme fraiche and dill. Yes. Uh, there's a ratatouille galette, which t- with tomato, eggplant, and yeah, zucchini and eggplant. Yep. And then there's a savoyard, which is raclette, cheese, and what? Onions and ham. Okay. And I got the chicken, which I thought was tasty. It was good. The chicken was diced. Cheese was creamy. It was first of all the crepe itself. Let's let's talk about the the crepes. They actually import the flour from the Brittany region of France for really? these crepes. The crepes are beautiful. The crepes are beautiful. I mean, really. thin 
bubbly. I mean, just and perfectly cooked. Nothing. And they're also, I mean, legitimately huge. Like I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't know that I could eat two crepes. Like that would have been, I, that, I would have done that and then gone home. That would have not, I would have not wanted to do anything else. I had the chicken. That was my, my primary order. I thought it was, um, I thought it was delicious. Chrissy, you ordered the ratatouille crepe and you didn't like it. Did not. And what didn't you like you about it? I, first of all, let me say, I thought it was delicious. That was better than the thing I ordered. <laughs> I thought it was great. Great was wonderful. The filling was bland to me. But again, I went in knowing that the only kind of crepe is sweet for me. But it's not. But it is. And I'm not going to ever order a salad in there or soup. And, you know, bless anybody that does. That's not why I'm going. I have so many other options. Okay. And l- let, me, let me say that to prepare. Let me just say also, too, to prepare for this, Chrissy actually made ratatouille at home. <laughs> but oh. I did add cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just just to prepare for this to see because you know and we do this a lot, right? When we're when when Mine we is better. when we go to when we go to review a restaurant, if there's something specific that we're going to try and order, you either have to know how it's prepared, like you've had it somewhere yeah. else, or you have to make yeah. it at home to see what it's supposed to be like. So in this case, Chrissy did, Chrissy made ratatouille just to make sure that okay, fair enough. And you didn't like it. I thought it was delicious. I thought it was fantastic. To me, it tasted like the French version of a crepe, uh, pizza crepe. And I liked all of it. It was really, really good. By the way, Chrissy, I, uh, before you jumped on, I actually watched a video of how to make ratatouille and you were right. And when you were describing the preparation steps, um, at lunch, I'm need you to say that again. <laughs> all right. It's super important. All right. So, so you had the ratatouille. It was delicious, but I think the best one that we had was what Laurel ordered, and that was the chev, goat cheese, spinach, and walnut. The the chev had a, a nice bit of tartness. The spinach was was you know tasted of green. It was savory, and the walnuts added just a, the right amount of crunch and bitter. And the buckwheat goes really really well here. I thought that was I thought the chev was by far the best of the savory crepes. I think next time I go, I'm going to order the salmon just to see what it's like. No, I'm not ever going to order another as savory because they're $16 and crepes shouldn't be savory. All right. Let me, let me say too, for the $33 that we got, we all got drinks. Sure. And here's, here's what's interesting, Jim. I think, I think this is a, a menu price point that we may not ever see again. The sodas and juice run between six fifty or $5 and $6 and 50 cents. In many cases, it's cheaper to drink cider than water in this French restaurant. And Laurel commented is, this is as it should be in France, right? The cider, <laughs> oh, the cider should okay. be cheaper. The alcohol should be cheaper than water in, uh, in France. But you have a choice of um, four ciders and uh, they helpfully explain like the level of sweetness with each of them. There are um, four wines, a Chardonnay, uh, a Cab, a Merlot, and then a Rosé. There's a beer, a Champagne, a Mimosa, and then a French Martini. I think the most expensive thing there is the is the champagne at seventeen fifty five, and I think Chrissy, were you the one that said the champagne is like twenty five or fifty cents more expensive inside the inside Laurel Laurel, Laurel said it right. Okay, so the the same champagne is served both outside in the regular French pavilion and inside in the Remy courtyard. It's slightly more expensive in the Remy courtyard. It's the service fee. It, that makes it's, it's fine. It's fine. There's water. You can get apple juice. You can get lemonade. You can get orangina which is a classic French uh, soda. And then, of course, you've got uh, espresso, cappuccino, coffee, and tea. So those are drinks. I ended up with the Evian 
to start with. And then um, my meal came with a cider. Laurel drank my cider for me, taking one for the team. So let's move on to desserts. Christy, you ordered many of them. Because I'm smart. <laughs> okay. You ordered you ordered the gourmand, the hazelnut, Nutella with whipped cream, chocolate and whipped cream, right? Yes. Side of... Raspberry. Sauce. Side of raspberry ice cream. Yeah. And additional side of ice cream. I mean, whipped cream. So, <laughs> so you had you had a crepe, which was filled with sweet things. And then you added ice cream, whipped cream, and chocolate sauce to it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you said, yeah. You said, yes. Not like I'm ashamed, but yes, I'm glad we got that straight. <laughs> I never, ever have shame about food. Never. Just as a diabetic, I still have to applaud this. Yeah, Jim needs to step away actually to take an injection just from <laughs> listening to what we're saying here. It sounds wonderful, though. It really does. Wow. Right. Okay. And then we also ordered the apple. So it's caramelized That's apples. Hands down. With um, with a caramel sauce, right? Yes. From okay. heaven. Laurel yeah. ordered the pear with uh, chocolate and whipped cream. I ordered the banana with uh, – so it's like bananas fosters uh, with, uh, with caramel. Of those, did, did you uh, – because you had to go, Chrissy. Did you, did you stay for all of the – Sweet. The apple caramel is just unbel- unbelievable. So that it's came out first. I thought it was delicious. The apples were cooked perfectly. They weren't mushy. They weren't hard. Oh, they were beautiful. And again, uh, but so by the way, this is not a buckwheat crepe, right? This is just a regular flour crepe. It's lighter. Yes. And again, they're huge. They're massive. Uh, apples were cooked thoroughly. The right proportions, the right heat, the right serving temperature, the right amount of caramel sauce. A very generous, wouldn't you agree, Chrissy, um, scoop of raspberry ice cream? Yes, it was enormous. A, a, was ton, a ton of whipped cream. I hope they keep the serving size the same. Yeah. Uh, because those add-ons are $2.95 a piece. Right. That's a really good value. I hope you're wrong about them increasing the I think price. everything on this menu is a great value right now. You had that. Right. Laurel yeah. ordered the pear. I didn't enjoy the pear flavor as much. And I think it wasn't the pear as much as what was the what was the 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 sauce that went with the pear? You don't like a chocolate ganache? No, I do not. It. And I think that yeah. those things didn't work for me. I had the banana, which I thought was the best of 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 the four crepes that I had to eat for work today. <laughs> um, perfectly well. Like I, if if I was not full from eating a little bit of several other crepes before this, I would have eaten the entire thing probably with my hands without any shame whatsoever. It was that good. And then the Nutella, I, I'm not a fan of Nutella. I don't, I don't like the flavor. I don't like the flavor of, of, of hazelnut. Okay. I do. And, but you thought that was good. Fantastic. Okay. And so my part of the, the meal was $33. Laurel's was 33. Chrissy ordered 17 different things. I think the <laughs> the buckwheat crepes are $16 each, 1595. They are. The, yes. uh, if you want a super salad, very reasonably priced, $6.75. Kids' meals are $14. You get a choice of a brie cheese galette, a ratatouille, or ham and cheese, and then a dessert crepe. So you get two miniature crepes for $14. I might actually order off the kids' menu next time in, so I can eat, eat all, everything. I'm going to do that. And then the, um, the regular crepes, if you order them a la carte, that's French for one by one. They are $8.95 each. The add-ons are $2.95, like Chrissy said. If you want to add a shot of Grand Marnier, rum, or something. What's the third thing, Chrissy? 
Calvados? Oh, Calvados, the apple apple brandy, right? Um, $7. That's seven dollars. Again, I think I thought the prices here were very reasonable. They are. Yeah, yeah, and overall, I mean, very good quality. I would definitely come back here again. Kudos to the to the kitchen gym. They they had t- literally ten minutes notice that they were opening today, and they pulled it off really well. Yeah. You did mention that with, you know, at least one of the dessert crepes, the, the apple one came out first. Yeah. How was the service? I mean, you know, service something was like this. Yeah, everyone knew what they were doing. It was uh, seamless. Killer. Yeah. Okay. Kitchen, kitchen was functioning. And again, uh, 10 minutes before the restaurant opened, one of the chefs was walking over a bunch of aprons to the kitchen. So really no one knew that they were working today. And they, and they managed to pull they it together. They might. I mean, they they, 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 there was a hint, right? Yeah, but no one no one was in uniform. And they, they pulled it together. Also, uh, we would be remiss if we did not point out, I would suspect around a third of the weights of the staff in the kitchen were actually from France. Yes. Yes. Speaking with the French accents, at one time citizens of the country of France, not like, you know, I visited there once and I put it on my name tag. Like actual French people with actual French accents who can speak the language were in the Absolutely. restaurant. So in terms of authenticity... This is pretty good. I think this is a very solid addition to Epcot, uh, especially to France. I liked it a lot. I will be back often. So check our Instagram because it'll be like my new LaCava. LaCava on one end twice a week and then back to the (laughs) All right. Uh, A couple of other quick food notes while we have Chrissy here. Uh, Columbia Harbor House has reopened. It has. Thank God. I was there with Laurel. I was there with Laurel um, yesterday, in fact. The lighthouse sandwich is still as delightful as always. Chrissy, have you tried the the hush tried puppies? It all. Hush puppies, of course. Oh, they're marvelous. Those are amazing. You can see the corn. It's so good. I love it there. It's cold. You can go upstairs. That's the thing. We went upstairs, so I, I wasn't super hungry that day. So Laurel ordered the lighthouse sandwich and a side of hush puppies. All I got was a large coke because I wasn't super hungry and. I've, I've had everything on the menu before, but we sat up there. We had a little cubby section all to ourselves. Yeah. The air conditioning was on the Anchorage setting, like Nome, Alaska, um, which was great. We got out of the sun. There was nobody in the park yesterday when we were there. I think we, yeah. we walked on to Pirates, Big Thunder, Splash, Mansion, and Sorry, there's a like a two minute wait at Mansion, uh, and then walked on to Small World before eating at Columbia Harbor House. But yeah, but I thought I thought the food quality, at, you know, the hush puppies that I ate at Columbia Harbor House, those are my new favorites. And the shrimp. I haven't tried the shrimp. It's good. Yes, you get the same amount of shrimp if you get the kids meal or if you get the combo. Ooh. And the combo comes with. Oh, the combo one. comes with like three things though. Chicken and fish. And the fish is really good, but if you're just really craving the shrimp you get the kids meal it's a whole lot cheaper and then you get a side and a drink but you still get four shrimp with your rice or whatever you get on the side nice. so good nice oh yes the best part about it is they have all of the condiments out again right so, right so you can get malt vinegar yeah. and tartar sauce you and use cocktail sauce like i do yeah it's not a problem <laughs> It's fine. You're I, safe. It's fine. I actually like the hush puppies with the barbecue sauce. The simply the Heinz simply barbecue barbecue sauce. Oh, I have to try that. It uh, I thought gross, that was delicious. Yeah. So that was good. Um, a couple of other things Chrissy and I have done this week. Uh, we stayed at a Polynesian bungalow, Jim. And Chrissy, how was that? You stayed with Giovanna. Yeah. It's, um, so Giovanna, of course, is Chrissy's daughter, my niece, who we like to spoil. Right. So we. Uh, the fir- you like to spoil. As soon as as soon as we got Gigi into the uh, into the bungalow, 
I said, you know, Aunt Laurel rented this for you, Gigi, because she wants you to stay at hotels like this all the time. Just ask your mom. Well, you, you <laughs> have kept her uh, in a certain style. Yes, and yes. This was just real far out of uh, what would be my range, but she she was sitting in the best part of the whole night is she was sitting in the little pool. The plunge know, pool, private, you know, on the on the back deck of the, yeah. By herself in a bathing suit that you got her from her personal shopper. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my Target pants and shoes and yeah. shirt. Uh, anyway, and she's watching. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're, all, we're all sitting around literally wearing like secondhand clothes. Gigi is in a Dolce & Gabbana kids one-piece bathing suit in her plunge <laughs> pool. In a plunge pool in her Polynesian bungalow, right? Okay. That's- so she, says, she says, I have the video, I believe. She goes, Mommy, this is all I ever wanted. She's watching. <laughs> so I have to say, like, obviously, this is not, you know, someplace most people are going to stay right, yeah. all the time. But if you can manage to do it once, it was really special. We got some. I mean, we went. We and, and we we did not leave the bungalow. So we didn't the, want to leave. So yeah, she was upset inter- about a couple of interesting things. I, um, Jim, I've talked about on the show before. The first time I stayed at a Polynesian bungalow, I didn't get in until like five thirty because I never got the text that said the room was ready. So Chrissy and I were betting when we made this reservation. That's right. So so I said that there's no way that we're going to get in the bungalow before four p.m., which is the standard check-in time for DVC reservations. Chrissy was like, oh, no, we'll be in by 10 or noon. We just said noon. Noon. I was yeah, like, oh, there's, there's no way, no way. Yeah, the room was already at 10.30. And, and by the way, there are so few people here, Jim. I think we saw two or three other bungalows occupied the entire time that we were there. When, when Laurel and I walked, we parked our car and walked through the Polynesian Resort to the bungalow, the number of other guests that we saw on that walk was two. Oof. Yeah, there's not a lot of people in Walt Disney World this week. Anyway, no. so we did that. It's fabulous. You were staying at the bungalow for work because weren't you guys also checking out the fireworks test for Disney Enchantment? For- oh, thank you, Jim. Yeah, so the uh, the complete coincidence, Jim. Who could have predicted that the night that we were in the Polynesian bungalow was also the night that they were testing projections on fireworks? for Disney's upcoming uh, Magic Kingdom show, uh, Disney's Enchantment. And so uh, uh, we... Glenn, you're going to want to write this off on your tax. So <laughs> exactly, this is a plan, exactly. right? Hey, who, who could have known that we were in a bungalow that was literally directly across from Cinderella <laughs> Castle? I mean, what a what an odd turn of events. So we're, we had a hint that the fireworks might run between 11 and 1. So at 10.50, uh, Gigi was in bed, and Chrissy and I were sort of like waiting around. And then uh, all at once we saw the lights go off on the castle and we knew that it was there. And so they, they ran through a bunch of projections that at least from the distance that we were at looked fantastic, a ton of new yes. effects. So they do, um, there's one effect that they do where it looks like the castle is being, it's almost like it's paint dripping down, but all at once, but it's super bright. And I think one of the big things that I noticed about these projections was I think this is the third generation of projection shows. The second generation was much brighter and vibrant in terms of color and uh, saturation than the first version. This third version is incredibly bright. Like it, it looks like white light from all the way across the seven seas lagoon. Also, it looks like Disney's put in new floodlights 
I'll, I'll yes, run the parks. And you could you could land planes with these. You could probably yeah. land spacecraft. There were at least 30, we counted, at least yeah, 30 of tons. them. Oh, but the, wow. uh, the castle effects look really good. They also tested a bunch of new fireworks. And this went on for about two hours. But it was like, you know, we're going we're gonna to do things for five minutes and then we're going to check. And then we're going to do things for five minutes and then we're going to think about it for 10 minutes. And then we're going to do things for five minutes and then we're going to think about it. So a couple of interesting things we saw. Some new fireworks effects, like new fireworks shapes coming out, um, different colors. Tell them about the... Um snowflake one remember the snowflake oh go ahead you do it it was a snowflake (laughs) (laughs) and we haven't we we hadn't seen that before i have Hmm. never seen anything like it it was like a it was a snowflake like i don't even understand the mechanics behind you know i've never made a how you get something to explode in that particular shape yeah no that was a thing it was amazing there were a couple of other shapes where i think we were they either um fired them or they exploded at the wrong angle because there was this one this one set of three fireworks that looked like they were trying to so one of them was a circle so it was a disc imagine putting a um a quarter on a tabletop and then looking at the quarter at eye level right so it basically like a flat ring and then there was the same thing but tilted down 90 degrees on edge and then there's another one where it's flat again and but you could see they weren't they weren't quite head on so you could see that they were white circles and I don't know why they exploded in that particular shape or what it was trying to do, but it looks like there was a test shell there for something. But the other thing we saw while they were doing the projections, we noticed somewhere on the Tomorrowland side of the Magic Kingdom, a green dot, Jim, that rose up from behind the trees, stayed there for a minute, and then went back down. And it didn't move side to side. It went up, it stayed, and it went back down. And I couldn't tell whether it was a crane for filming or a drone. But if it was a crane, Jim, it went up higher than the castle. So I think it was a drone. I mean, we've got a couple of anniversary specials coming up. In fact, I don't know if you saw they announced that for the 50th anniversary thing they're doing for ABC, they've, they've got Eisner... Iger and Chapek talking about the history of the parks. It's the first time that the three most recent CEOs, you know, have been available to talk about the parks. But it's quite possible they were banking footage to cut into that. Oh, that's possible. Yeah, we we figured that they were filming something because they kept repeating certain parts of it. So they saw the drone and then uh, right around one o'clock in the morning, there was this last burst of fireworks and then things got quiet. And then we noticed smoke rising from Adventureland. <laughs> and it, I, was, I was looking at it. It was completely dark. It was a dark night. But we could see that there was a lot. definitely darker smoke than clouds and not like residual fireworks smoke coming up and then drifting to the left. So drifting to the west of us. And it kept going for a while, like after all the fireworks had stopped and and after the point, presumably, that the firework smoke would have dissipated. And it burned for, I would say, a good five or ten minutes. And Chris and I were looking at each other like, does that look like smoke? Is that smoke? Because it's it's dark, Jim, right? It's completely dark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, That that looks like smoke, doesn't it? And Chris, you went to bed because you're like, ah, you know, all the fireworks are done. It's one o'clock. We knew that everything was done. And then the smoke got more intense and then... It's hard to tell, but it looked like there were um, three sets of vehicle lights 
sort of that we saw in inside the Magic Kingdom driving towards this smoke. And then there was a really brief flicker of either firework or flame. It was hard to tell, but definitely something happened. And then uh, it went on for like another, uh, uh, the smoke went on for like another 10 minutes or so. And then it was done. But, but Jim, here's the interesting part. The next day, there were no fireworks with Happily Ever After. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that. And I'm, I'm sure you, you heard the same things that I was hearing about that the incident was not obviously not supposed to happen. And they wanted to be sure going forward. It wouldn't happen again, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, okay, let's make sure this is not a shell-related issue. Let's do the necessary safety. Do we have anybody in the park to see Happily Ever After just as a projection show? Or, uh, and if so, actually, how did the, it play? I went to California Girl that night, so I didn't get a chance to see ah. it. Okay, yeah. okay. So that was uh, that was that. But anyway, Chris and I stayed up till one o'clock to see parts of the Magic Kingdom burn, and that was. Uh, that was <laughs> oh, there we go. The okay. uh, the other thing I want to mention while we've got Chris Christina on here is uh, she attended the Nine Dragons reopening over at China, and apparently loved it. Christina, do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, you need to explain why you're salty about the. Uh- I okay. Yeah. Here's the thing, Chrissy. Chrissy rolls up, and says that they have the best chili oil hands down hands down that she's ever tasted and ever i don't know if i've mentioned this on the show jim but i actually make a homemade chili oil that i i got from not a lot of people know this and chrissy may not know this so i'm giving out family secrets here but our grandmother doris was one-eighth chinese so you know it's part of my hereditary uh cult my cultural heredity um to be able to make uh chili oil if, if that doesn't fly with me having parents from Ohio, it's, I feel like this. Well, here's the thing. I, didn't, I'm, I don't call myself Chinese. Part. I'm saying it's part of my heritage. It's different. Okay. 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 All right. Fair enough. So I, I make a chili oil that takes me four or five hours, includes a number of ingredients that quite honestly, you have to ask, you have to go around the back of certain Chinese grocery stores to ask for, right? I'm not saying that they're illegal or that it involves the harvesting of organs of animals that are endangered species or whatever. But, you know, it's just hard to get some of the mm-hmm. things that go into my chili oil. And I love mm-hmm. my chili oil. I, I think it's very, very good. So when Chrissy comes in and says, oh, my God, it's the best chili oil I've ever had in my entire life. Seriously. I'm, I'm like a little I bit skeptical. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, so it sounds I, like Thanksgiving this year is going to be fun. But it's going to be continue. great. It's going to be great. So what did you order at Nine Dragons, Chrissy? Oh, everything. No, we ordered all of the appetizers. And I have to say, the appetizer, so we ordered the vegetable spring rolls, the chicken pot stickers. The best thing was the chicken dumplings with the spicy chili oil sauce, mm-hmm. hot and sour soup, and then the crispy duck bao buns. Oh, crispy duck. Yeah, you can't go wrong with crispy duck. Yes. Yeah, so I would a thousand percent recommend every single appetizer. And with the addition of a side of the spinach noodles, the ones that come with the um, shrimp. The shrimp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, so it's a black pepper shrimp with spinach <sighs> noodles, and that I think that's actually the uh, prior to closing down for the pandemic. I thought that was the best dish on this menu. Um, but it's you, th- but, but you think everything's good now? I think every single appetizer is fantastic. I think the, especially if you look at the price compared to. If you, I mean, you're sitting in AC, so I I really took it from um, from the from the comfort perspective. 
Yes. I'm in a chair. Somebody's bringing me my food. I'm not eating on a trash can. Yeah. Life is good. Yeah. Right. But it was fantastic. I, w- I will go back again, even after food and wine, the, the crispy duck buns mm-hmm. were wonderful, but I will say, okay, I even have a video out there. There might be like three or four videos on our Instagram of me just spooning this chili oil. I sauce. saw it. That's how I, that's how I thought <laughs> yeah. to ask you because uh, you know, one video of you putting chili oil and everything is fine. But after the third one, honestly, God, I saw the third one and I went back and I'm like, did I see this? Is this the first one? Just again, no, she wrote. She did three videos on, on chili. They brought they brought her a bowl of, of chili oil. Bowl. It was so good. <laughs> I asked right. if they could bottle it. Can I bring it home? I mean, it was so good. I put it on everything. That, you're just, you're just embarrassing yourself right now, Chrissy. This is I just was uh, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just offended. Thank I you. left a really good tip. You <laughs> got <laughs> the chili oil. <laughs> I did. I did. Look, look, I left my look the, service, the service was fine. But if you could just it give this fine. to the person in the I kitchen. So <laughs> I had chili oil all down the front of my shirt. I was like, <laughs> did you really? I, I got so into it. I forgot I was working. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't taken any pictures. <laughs> you know, you know, the server looked at you and said, would Madame like to get any of he this in her mouth? So <laughs> no, he made me. He made me take a picture of his name tag so I would ask for him next time. Oh, my God. He did. He made me take a picture. He was so sweet because I was causing a – I tried it and I think I started – What was like his name? I don't know how to pronounce it and I don't want to mess it up. Okay, right. But I saved it. It's in Dropbox. All right. It's in Dropbox. Sorry. I'll go back and look. Yeah. All right. So I, I tried it with the dumplings and I hollered out probably something really inappropriate and I was like, oh my gosh. So I took my spoon and was like trying it like soup. And then I had made a plate of appetizers um, because we were sharing, which I don't recommend at all. And Apparently I not. just dumped the chili oil on everything. It was so incredible. It's the best combination of sweet and just the perfect amount of spice. It was incredible. It's bright ruby red i mean gorgeous just so wonderful so good that's fantastic it was, so, it, was, it was so good and i caused such a ruckus that the man next to me asked for they were like at another table asked mm. for a little bowl of it so he could try it i'll have what she's having that's funny there we go, there we go. that's fantastic <laughs> all right so so uh so when i'm back in a, in a few days i will go over to nine dragons and We'll try. You actually offered to buy me dinner there on on you. Yeah, on me. I'll buy you two because that's how good it is. I need you to try it. It's that important Look, just, that you. It's just. It's just not. Nope. It's just not going to nope. be that good. It's just not. But you know what? You know how hard it is to make a good chili oil, and I have tried many oh, a chili oh, oil. Do, I love do you need my recipe? Stuff. I'm happy to give you my recipe. One ingredient per year. For the next That's 20 kind of years. Yeah. I'll just go here because I already know it's not as good. Girls, <laughs> girls, girls, you're both pretty. Okay. I will buy. And then you still owe me ten dollars. Still owe you ten dollars too. You can leave the tip. All right, fair enough. All right, well, well, Christy, we're gonna have to. Um, so we we haven't talked about the new food booths at Epcot. We're running out of time, so we'll have to have you on on another upcoming show. You can talk about that too. Well, can we just say real quick what the worst one was? Just real sure, fast. Sure, go ahead, go ahead. 
Ireland. Ireland. No. Yeah. My people. What? Wait. What? Sorry. Jim, I, Sorry, I, Jim. Jim I, I believe your parents are from New Hampshire. Also, <laughs> also an American. What is with me? <laughs> well, you know, it, it actually, what is it? The chromosome test? My father, he was one of these people who very late in life decided he was from Ireland. So lots of cable knit sweaters, lots of carving of green soap. And he was sorely disappointed last year to learn that we did the chromosome thing. And it, it's the hills are not from Ireland. We're, we're mostly Scottish. Ah. You know, so it's just, and it was too late to get, you know, behind a good haggis recipe. <laughs> Went to his grave regretting the fact that he had never <laughs> had it. But anyway, really, well, I'm, the, I'm sorry, the, Jim, but the the fisherman seafood pie, mm-hmm. I said that it was not quite as good as the one that they served my dad, our dad, in the nursing home. Oh, mm. And that I knew <laughs> there's, there's a line for you I, in a food I, review. God, I was about to say, had he been bad? Is that why they gave him the fisherman's? <laughs> you know, there I there mean, aren't that, enough bad my, words. My, my dad, yeah, you know, maybe mm. I don't know. <laughs> okay, Jim, it's just my husband and I once left. We were having seafood and we bought fresh mm-hmm. oysters on the Maryland coast. And we once left an oyster, it got lost on the counter and rotted. And that it was smelled better. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. Wow. Wow. I said, I think I said that it was going to cost you everything at the booth is 1650, but it'll cost you 3450 because you have to spend $18 on a shot of McAllen <laughs> to, get, to get the know. taste to get the taste That's literally the only way you're going to be able to manage it wow Whoa. wow sorry all right well wow. looking forward to uh, the other uh food okay, oh, wow. and <laughs> nowhere to go but up okay uh, cool yeah, fantastic all right. all right well christine thank you very much for uh, for being on the show we're gonna do listener questions okay. real, real quick uh jim we have time for one quick note from adam who's proposing sure. new attraction names to go along with the new paid fast pass program genie plus that Disney has announced. Here's what Adam suggests. Are you ready? New attraction mm. names. Splash the Cash Mountain. Oh. $70 Dwarf Mine Train. <laughs> Slinky Dog Dash to the ATM. Astronomically Priced Orbiter. Mm. Rise in Price of the Resistance. And my personal favorite, Carousel of Process My Credit Card. And like I just want to point out to the resort executive, this is just getting started. I know. Fantastic. Wait, wait till people actually arrive and have to pay it. That's going to be different. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the history of Disney's haunted mansions. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, Jim, when we last left off in part four of our Haunted Mansion series, Walt Disney was considering a place to put his haunted house. And he had closed Holiday Land at the Disney Park, right? Yeah. 
This was the area that was just over the tr- uh, railroad tracks next to uh, Frontierland. This is where if you were, say, a corporation that was based in Southern California, you could rent this seven-acre area out for Employee Appreciation Day. And there were ways to entertain 7,000 folks out in this area. They'd serve food. But you could also, you know, there was sort of a, a permeable barrier that people who were attending the corporate event could then go into the park and enjoy Disneyland. But Walt closes Holiday Land Effect. It was 60 years ago this month. They closed it September of 61. And he's still committed to the idea of the Haunted Mansion as a walkthrough attraction. Mm -hmm. And in order for the mansion to now have sufficient hourly throughput, Mm -hmm. what they've decided to do is build two exact replicas of a, a walkthrough attraction and build them side by side out beyond the berm. And Ooh. if you, you want to see what this looks like, you, and if you have a copy of Pete Doctor and Chris Merritt's Mark Davis in his own words, mm-hmm. go to volume one, page 338, and there you can see literally the site plan that Marvin Davis, not Mark Davis, put together. You can see how they, they were, these two mirror versions of this uh, attraction were supposed to be built. The reason that Disneyland's Haunted Mansion has two stretching rooms is the idea was that each of these elevators were meant to serve as one of the walkthroughs that the groups would pulse through. You know, so if you went to the left, you were going to see the walkthrough that was only on the left side of the show building, the other side of the berm. If you went into the elevator on the right, you only get the right one. Huh. So Holiday Land closes in 61. They spend all of 62 building the exterior of the, the Haunted Mansion and, you know, it's a little wrought iron fence and all that. Mm-hmm. Opens in December of that same year. And then, as we mentioned in the last show, work grinds to a halt because Walt is busy doing all the stuff for the 64, 65 World's Fair. But 1963 is a crazy busy year for Walt Disney Productions. Just listen to what they had in the works in this 365-day period. They had to get 28 new episodes of the Wonderful World of Color TV show out the door to NBC. That season of the show ran from September 63 to May of 64. Mary Poppins is shooting on the Disney lot from May to September of 1963. And the animation staff has to finish working on Sword in the Stone, which is going to arrive in the theaters, uh, theaters December 25th of 63, oh, wow. before they can then pivot to working on Mary Poppins' Jolly Holiday scene. Dick Sherman was telling me they, they're working on the score for Sword in the Stone, and they're just doing some final tweaks on Mary Poppins. And one day Walt comes in and says, come in, I need your help. They go down to the soundstage on the lot where they had built the mock-up Mm-hmm. of the Tiki Room show. Oh, and Walt runs the show for them, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. What is it? And it's like, well, that's the thing. You have to tell me what it is. You have to write the, th- <laughs> the theme song for this thing. So I have, I have two tasks for you, gentlemen. Number one, <laughs> tell me what this is. Two, in song. <laughs> yes, no, that's it exactly. So, you know, they, they had to ram out the Tiki Room song in that same window of time so that attraction could open in June of 63. That's why there are 17 verses that are in the tiki 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 room. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Have I mentioned what the name of this place is yet? You know, but, uh, but as busy as that year was, early part of 63, Walt's up in Canada negotiating with the Seagram's company. 
They own, of course, the Seagram's Tower, which is located in the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. Okay. And what they want, you know, they're proposing to Walt is, you know, what if we did an attraction at the base of the tower? And when they say attraction, they mean what we'd really like to do here is, is steal two rides from Disneyland. We'd like flight to the moon because it's like you know somebody at seagram's would be really clever hey wait a minute we got honeymooners at niagara falls let's send them to the actual moon hey i mean it's the early 60s the space race is on you, you no, kind of no, see no, it you're okay right. fair you're, enough. you're not wrong but the other one that was fascinating is they wanted to take to do one some iterations of this plan are, are circle three circle vision 360s there's another version of it that's just Circle Vision 270, but the idea is you do a film about the history of Niagara Falls, and you you end it by getting people closer than they could ever get on the Maid of the Mist. And so the idea, do this at the base of uh, Seagram Tower to, to make it that much more of an attraction. Walt's intrigued, but then in February, March of that same year, the mayor of St. Louis reaches out to Walt Disney Productions. They've decided they want to build an indoor attraction in that city at the edge of the Mississippi. But they're not talking about, you know, one or two things. They initially want to do a whole city block. A, a big city block, like a long city block. Yeah. Okay. The, well, that's the thing. The initial measurement for the the first iteration of the plan was it was going to be in a building that was 300 feet long and four stories tall. Okay. Walt goes with his wife, Lily, to St. Louis in May of 63, visits the site. He's been thinking on the indoor theme park idea because of the Seagram project. And he sees the site. He sees the view of the Mississippi. He goes back to the Imagineers. And by the time Walt finishes talking this, this whole idea up to the Imagineers, what they're looking to do is two huge city blocks. It's a 600-foot-long building that's now five stories tall. One of the main reasons that Walt was doing shows for the 65-64 New York World's Fair was that developing ride shows and attractions for the park is expensive. But if you can do it on somebody else's dime, that's wonderful. You know, and here's Walt staring down the barrel of what it's going to cost to move the Haunted Mansion from all of the stuff that Yale Gracie and Roly Crump have dreamed up. And it's like, wow, you know, all these show scenes are going to be expensive to build. And But now here's the, the people of St. Louis who are saying, hey, you know, we, we'd love to build this indoor theme park. And, you know, uh, we'll give you this primo piece of real estate right down by the water. And Walt is like, ooh, okay. you know, so I could get somebody else to pay for moving the haunted mansion from just something that's models and prototypes and that sort of thing to an actual attraction. And you had said on the on the last show that um, that was the setup that Walt Disney had found themselves in with the '64 World's Fair, where a bunch that's of exactly. external companies had come in and, and basically thrown Disney a bunch of money. To mm -hmm. say, build us a pavilion for the fair, and mm -hmm. yeah, we don't care if you keep it when we're done. And Walt was like, two words for you, Ka and Ching. <laughs> you know, that's it exactly. And this is Walt kind of leaps full force into <laughs> leaps force into other people giving him money. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, no, he did. Here's again, a plan we can really get around, boys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what gets developed at this point is now known as Walt Disney's Riverfront Square. You walk into a central arcade in the, in the middle of the 600-foot-long building, and to one side 
is, for lack of a better term, a land. It is old St. Louis. And, and to, directly to the other side of this is New Orleans. It's kind of bold of St. Louis to say, this is what New Orleans looks like. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, well, admittedly, you know, right? They're on the same no, river. No, no. So, all right, all right. Absolutely. But at the same time, you got to understand that given that Walt had already announced you know, in 57, that they were going to take their teeny tiny little New Orleans area for Disneyland, which had been basically the chicken plantation restaurant, and turn it into an extension of Frontierland. I sure. mean, this is this is Walt literally servicing his own agenda. I can't the effect of, yeah, it's going to celebrate St. Louis. And, oh, did I mention they'll also be a part of New Orleans? And in the New Orleans section of the park, in fact, I, earlier today I sent you a link to the blueprints. Uh, I want to say, yeah. Yeah, that that and what's fascinating is on the ground floor of this five-story building, if you went into the New Orleans side of this indoor theme park, there you had the facade of the haunted mansion. But it, it's so much of the Disneyland plan. You enter through a black plated wrought iron fence and you walk up to the mansion in a, such a way that takes you by a graveyard full of comical headstones, and that, then yeah. you eventually. Eventually enter the building and they have a teeny tiny crowd control area before you then step into the stretching room, which now takes you down to the basement. Is this the first draft or the first time that we know that there's a stretching room in the Haunted Mansion? There we go. Because earlier, all they described them were, you know, as were elevators, you know, to the effect of, okay, we got to get people down to the Haunted Mansion in Anaheim and then walk through a tunnel under the, the railroad track so that then can come up on the other side of the berm and then do the walkthrough. Sure. So this is the first time, yes, it's referred to as the stretching room. So they've decided it's not just a conveyance. It's going to be a show scene. You know, it's going to set the stage for the attraction. And now you go down to the basement of Walt Disney's Riverfront Square and the mansion is sharing this space with, I don't want to say necessarily it's the first version of pirates it's called the back bayou ride basically the scenes that they describe are sort of the scenery you see you know when you're floating past the blue bayou restaurant in disneyland only kind of writ large but but same thing you board that ride on the first floor of the attraction and then you the boat slides down a ramp to the bayou and then you come up the other side you have these two attractions that are using the basement of the building. So what they decided to do was this is the first time that the mansion is basically described as a ride. Ah, uh, okay, okay. All right. Folks come down in the stretching room in the elevator, and that group of 40 people then steps onto a wheeled platform that then moves from room to room to room. Now, I, again, a, a, I wheeled, a wheeled platform. A wheeled platform. Ken Anderson kept noodling on the idea after 57 and 58. There was also this issue of how do we pulse people through the building? Okay, so at this point, the wheeled platform is not the Omnimover that we know of no, today. No. Okay, all right. It's more like um, Universe of Energy. Very much so in that it would roll into a particular setting as Ken had envisioned this thing. There would be story moments that, that basically 15 seconds for the group to move into the room, a minute-long story scene, and then another 15 seconds to move to the next room. Okay. So that's what this was. But again, this is also Walt pushing away from 
the Captain Gore and his bride Priscilla story. Basically, eight show scenes, and then they've never quite been clear about how the guests would then be conveyed back up to the first floor, but you actually exit through a mausoleum and stroll out into the streets of New Orleans. And But again, it's our, our first iteration of the Haunted Mansion as a ride. Wow. Okay. I haven't heard these details before. That's interesting. Seriously, if you get the chance, circle back to that that article, check out the blueprints, because they do break down what would go where in this sort of puzzle box of a building. And this is Walt, once again, using the 64-65 World's Fair plan. The idea is that if the city of St. Louis had gone forward with the project, construction would have begun 65 or thereabouts. The park itself would have opened in 67. Then, in much the same way that Broadway musicals used to go out of town and sort of test ideas and songs and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. this would have meant that once they had perfected the mansion at Walt Disney's Riverfront Square, they could then pivot. And in much the same way that while there was a Mr. Lincoln at the New York World's Fair, Disney built a second one and actually debuted it at Disneyland in July of 65, while the original Mr. Lincoln was still back in Queens. But unfortunately, this plan falls apart largely over finances. I know there's a a story out there supposedly about Augustus Bush is the one who puts the kibosh on the deal because he and Walt supposedly have a disagreement about whether or not you can serve alcohol at this place. And it it turns out that wasn't the case at all. Walt, in fact, up on the fifth floor had designed sort of a pavilion space where in much the same way that Disneyland had holiday land, this was going to be the space where people could, could rent out, could have corporate parties and have adult beverages. The problem was that our buddy Buzz Price with the ERA mm-hmm. had done the in- initial financials on it said, okay, this is going to cost just from the offset, it's going to cost $20 million to build. Right. So what Walt proposed was like, you invited me here to St. Louis to build this thing. Yeah. I think it's only fair that I'm lending my name to the project and I'm putting my guys on designing all the entertainment inside the building. Mm-hmm. You guys got to build the building and then we'll come with our ride shows and attractions, put them in. And, and Walt's plan, of course, was in much the same way that he got, for example, United Airlines to pay for the Tiki Room at Disneyland. He was going to reach out to all of his promotional partners that he'd acquired over the years, the PepsiCo's, the Swift Meats. So how how is the revenue going to be split there? So, so, so Walt goes to the city of St. Louis and says, you guys need to, to build a building. He goes to the promotional partners like Pepsi-Cola and Swift and says, hey, you guys need to pitch in on building the ride shows and attractions. But then when when it came time to split the admission revenues and the concessions, what was the what was the cut there? This is the exact same question that the people of St. Yeah, Louis were asking. Yeah, that's where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I hate to ask what's in it for me, but what's in it for me? They had just built the, the brand new stadium for the St. Louis football team down the street, along with they were in the process of building the arch to create. In fact, St. Louis felt that the Disney indoor theme park was going to be the third and most vital component of making a year-round tourist destination. For downtown. Out of yeah, 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 yeah. And in the end, St. Louis just balked at the notion of, we have to pay for the building. You know, and it's, well, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, you know, you invited me, it's only fair. I mean, I know $20 million was a lot of money in 1963, but it still, was, to be able to it say. It was. 
But they asked for a pause so they could confer. And again, as busy as Walt Disney was at this time in 1963, yeah, that was the wrong thing to ask because Walt literally pivoted from dealing with the folks to St. Louis to where are we on Project Florida? Oh, okay. So, so uh, real quick, pause here, Jim. So, twenty million dollars in nineteen sixty-three was one hundred and seventy-eight million dollars today. So, okay. okay. So, so, I understand the city of St. Louis's uh, <laughs> reticence in giving. My God, Len, that's that, that's one Marvel movie. Oh, geez. <laughs> wow, it's like half of one Marvel Marvel movie, Jim. But yeah, there we go. You know, that, there Jim, we that's go. the first two hours of a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, But anyway, so they fly the corporate jet out, they collect Walt, they do some flying up and down in November of 1963 over Florida, and it's on this trip that uh, Walt looks out the window and sees Raz Island in the middle of Bay Lake and says, that's it, that's where we're going to build the resort. So they turn around, they fly up to New Orleans to reload, you know, to, to, to gas up the plane for the trip back to Burbank, and it's as they land, they learn that JFK had just been assassinated in Dallas. Uh, uh, so it was, yeah. you know, t- t- November 22nd that uh, Walt was looking out the window at Bay Lake. But the St. Louis Project chugs along for the next couple of months. In fact, what's fascinating is you can you can go to the newspaper archive in St. Louis and they continue to write stories about it, not realizing that Walt has moved on. Wow. And in the end, it just comes down to the fact that, look, you either pay for the building or we don't come in. And, well, I don't think we want to pay for the building. Then I'm not coming. Yeah. And, and then everyone moved on. Yeah, that's that's a shame. It was. But it, because of that, the mansion project stalls out yet again. Oh, so then Walt, Walt decides he's going to build Walt Disney World and, and stops thinking about the, the Haunted Mansion. Well, he's, he stops thinking about the indoor theme park for St. Louis. Oh, I mean, okay. there is the Tencennial episode of the Disney, uh, the Wonderful World of Disney. This episode where it's Walt in this bogus setup version of Imagineering, where at one point he talks with Mark Davis about uh, the Haunted Mansion. In fact, that's the very first time we get to see the portraits that Mark had put together for the stretching room. And then we also get to see Rolly Crump standing in front of the stuff that would have been in Museum of the Weird. So Mm -hmm. it continued to chug along. It just was now not a part of what was going to be built in St. Louis. So how we get from the fall of 63 with deciding where Disneyland, you know, or the Walt Disney World Resort is going to be built, and August of 69 when Mansion opens up, how we get there, we will discuss in the final installment of the series, which we'll do on next week's Disney Dish. The sixth and final installment of our Haunted Mansion series. For those of you who had it in the pool, who said there's no way he'll finish this in six. Yeah, I mean, you had, you had originally said it was four parts, and I'm like, well, we're going to do eight shows. That's going to be great. And then it's six. All right. Six. All right. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including two new shows on the history of Disney's Flying Saucer Ride. On next week's show, Jim concludes the history of the development of Disney's Haunted Mansions. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be trying to get his car's alternator replaced as part of the third annual Give a Dog a Job 5K fundraising event starting at 9 a.m. on Saturday, September 18th at the Mainline Brewery in beautiful downtown Richmond, Virginia. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.